Hi, everybody. This is Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. So today on the show, we are going to talk about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, <laughs> which is a 1986 American psychological horror crime film directed and co-written by John McNaughton, um, also starring Michael Rooker, who eventually became a star I mean, he was a nobody in this yeah and tom towels i think is the way it's pronounced plays otis oh, and he God. also did a lot of really great character roles event you know along the way and then tracy arnold who plays becky who did not end up pursuing acting much after this but um they were all incredibly believable in this film though. yeah they sure were so specifically for this what we did is because kathy and i have both seen this film before i've actually seen it a couple of times yeah, before we too. decided to do this i don't Great. know why i would ever watch it more than once but i have but you do um <laughs> uh what we decided to do this time was watch uh the joe bob briggs version on sh the shutter streaming service and the reason for that is, like, I know the movie pretty well, so I needed to mix it up a little bit. And what Joe Bob does, if you guys don't watch him, is he's a horror film, well, drive-in horror movies is his deal, but drive-in horror movie host, and he does commentaries in between, like all the horror hosts. And on this particular version of the show, they were watching Henry and he was, uh, and he interviewed John McNaughton, the director as part of that too. So that was fun and made it different for us, <laughs> different enough that we could have, I don't know, we want to have fun too. And this movie's not in any way fun. So watching a little Joe Bob with this made it a little bit lighter. It was interesting to hear just some of his background as well, and the fact that he was a, a carnival worker at one point. Right, um, right. But also that this was his first film. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think about that, and if you haven't seen this movie, it that may not seem like a big deal to you, but there's so much controversy around the making of this film, around the ratings of this film. We'll talk about this. Uh, and it was really interesting to hear. And then you see this guy who's somewhat like he's older now. He's oh. he's real light. He seems really sweet, really friendly. And you go, how the hell did this guy <laughs> make I what I think is one of the most disturbing movies ever made? Well, you know, I you know, I I mean, I think you and I get that right. Like you and I can see the dialectic of that, like mm -hmm. that because. I think life's pretty funny. I laugh a lot and I'm also pretty intense mm -hmm. and dark at times. So like, I think you and I also have those qualities, not to the extent that we would make Henry Portrait of the Serial Killer, but mm -hmm. you know, like I think that it works in some ways. Um, yeah. I mean, it was just a really raw and real portrayal of uh, the real person. It's loosely based off of the real person, but I mean, he was, it was really interesting to listen to a lot of what he had to say. He was very matter of fact about a lot of um, the facts that this, there were so many attempts to stop the making of this film. Mm -hmm. um, they wanted to give it an X rating when it first came out. Um, and I remember the conversation that he was having with Joe Bob. And I guess, I think it was Joe Bob who maybe made the comment something like, you know, we've seen other films out there that are, are way more violent, why would this be giving an X rating? And my first thought was, well, there's the sexual sadism piece that I think sends it really over the edge. It's not so much the goriness or the, and and just what it implies. I mean, there, that one scene, which we'll get into the film, but mm -hmm. the rape scene, mm -hmm. to me, um, 
especially for that time. And it was very, it looks like you're watching a documentary when you're watching the film. Yeah. It's like, I think I, I totally agree. I mean, obviously, you know, Joe Bob and everybody's always talked about the fact that it's social realism. Like they use that, that word for this, like it's shot like a documentary and that's what was so disturbing. And that, it, and as you guys may know, the MPAA gave it an X rating for disturbing moral tone. They couldn't even like do it for sex or violence or any of that. But I think what you're saying is that you can see how they could. I yeah. mean, in other words, what I'm thinking is that because I know the MPAA has a like a list and a way they go about it, just like any organization has standards and protocols and procedures, right? And so when they looked at their procedures or protocols, it probably just didn't it wasn't it, the sex scenes weren't bad enough to be in that category and the violence wasn't bad enough to be in that category, you know, like it just quite didn't meet criteria, mm -hmm. like a 5150 hold. It just right. like, you know, it's not good, but it doesn't quite meet criteria. Um, so they went with this overarching moral tone. But I agree, like I was actually surprised when um, Joe Bob and John were talking about how it was for disturbing moral tone because mm -hmm. obviously that is why it makes us sick to our stomachs it's when really we watch sick. it. Yeah. But I agree with you in the sense that that's so crazy that the, that the violent, the personally violent behavior, what didn't like the sex, like the rape and then the family raping or killing and all of that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm surprised it didn't meet that kind of criteria to get an X rating except yeah. for, except for when you watch movies nowadays, like, there's a lot of movies that are quite disturbing and have that kind of content. But this, I mean, I, I do remember that this was not now. This was whatever, 1986. So, yeah, I also think, I think it was that the way that it was shot, mm -hmm. um, everything now, when you go see a, a, the way that it's filmed and the lenses that they use, you know, you're watching a movie and you're this observer um, and, and you're not as connected. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm articulating this as no, well. No, it's totally like it's the tone. That's the exactly right. what you're talking and about. And so you're mm -hmm. watching this as if you are a voyeur in this house and, and we'll go into the scene a little bit more, but there's a rape scene that takes place. Um, and the family's murdered and the mother is, uh, the wife is tortured in the scene. And I think another thing to think about, which would never happen now is John McNaughton talks about how a lot of the extras in this film were, were crew members and people that were just kind of hired for a certain scene. That boy who plays the son, it was actually like one of the crew members sons that they hired that day to come in and watch this, be part of the scene. And he has to walk in this woman is completely exposed. He has to be there for this. He gets wrestled to the ground. I can't help but think that that must have felt incredibly real, the way that it was shot. Um, then you have Otis laughing. And I mean, it's so sadistic and sick that I would even argue to say, as much as we see rape scenes now, I don't think they go this far. And you don't see children in them. And you don't see... It, it, it took it to this level where to me, it's still the most disturbing scene I've ever watched in film. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would say that, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, I think a lot of people who have watched this movie and I, I have a feeling that the board at that time, and I also imagine the procedures and all of that of the MPAA have changed and criteria have changed. Like things change over four decades. Mm -hmm. So 
I mean, watching it now, it's the tone for sure. So that's the most difficult thing about mm-hmm. the movie is the way the way it was shot documentary style and the tone. And because they were low budget, they, you know, he really leaned into character and intimacy, the mm-hmm. intimacy of it. So what I find a lot of times is when movies are dealing with this kind of material because they're trying to pander to a wider audience, which mm-hmm. is fine. That's how you make your living. They cut away a lot. Yeah. You know, they have to cut away a lot from yeah. that. But in this, especially the scene where, um, you know, they're watching it from the couch. Oh, God. They're and- playing it back. But that was so in line with the psychology, though, right? I mean, the first second I, I when I was thinking about it psychologically this time, watching it from like the perspective of we're going to talk about it from a psychological view, I was like, that is so right on. And I mean, that's what everybody says about this movie is that the truth of it comes through. Like the truth of the people, you know, um, this type of criminal is not, gen, you know, not widely the like American psycho narcissist Mm-mm. or that, you know, it, the, the, even the Hannibal, we're going to do Hannibal next mm-hmm. week, but like the, the dandy that's a, that's crazy or whatever psychopath. It's like, this is who it is. This is who a serial killer is. Disorganized. This, I mean, you're looking at limited t- social ability, limited, yeah, <laughs> cognitive deficits, yeah. Um, you know, probably severe mental illness, mm-hmm. not just not just, you know, characterological stuff yeah. going on. You have uh, history when you when you look at and we'll talk about the real Henry Lee and Otis um, in in the real in real life, they were both severely abused in their lifetime. Um, so you have that piece like the early childhood mm-hmm. history, but like beyond what we've heard about some of right. these other serial killers. Henry Lee Lucas was... Well, um, yeah, let's get into that now. <clears throat> okay, the one thing I want to say before we jump into okay. that is was Joe Bob's reaction to what you just talked about mm-hmm. when they were on the couch. Yeah. And he said, um, we just watched the most terrifying scene in this film, and I'm not talking about the rape. I'm talking about after the rape, when they're sitting on the couch and watching the film, and just the fact that they were so blunted and just kind of their heads were tilted and just almost like admiring their work yeah he talked about it like you know how their bodies were relaxed but they were riveted and i immediately of course like you and i know that that that's very that's very in line with with what we see in the psychopath (laughs) is that their body the difference between us God willing. And a psychopath is that our bodies would be activated. Our men, the mental stimulus and the, our heartbeat would be racing. We'd be looking away. We would have a physiological somatic Mm. reaction to the material, which we do when we're watching the movie. (laughs) Um, But that, but what we find in, you know, this type of um, person is that it actually relaxes them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they're watching the best TV series Almost they ever like saw. Almost like they had just smoked a joint. Or, you know, it was like this is... Uh. Well, you know, they've done those studies where it literally lowers their blood pressure, yeah. that lowers their... Um, the Yeah, it's great. So anyway, I thought it was also... I, I'm glad you said that because I thought his... You know, we can all have different like views of what we saw in that scene, but we all agree that it was like it was a pivotal scene. Like it was really important. And I think a lot of... This is what I appreciate about 
John McNaughton's direction in this too, is I think a lot of modern directors may have overplayed that. They may have made the psychopath really excited watching Mm -hmm. it and it would have been really um, surfaced where he took it to that level of the psychology of it, which is how would they actually be Mm -hmm. watching that? And then there's a scene later where Otis is passed out because he's watching it over and over and over and over. Yeah, he is. He's so pleased with himself. Yeah, and I think fascinated by himself too, right? Because he's supposed to be the the new guy to the party. He's the one being groomed. And Mm -hmm. um, I think this will lead you into saying some stuff about Henry Lee Lucas because Henry Lee Lucas also had a sidekick. So mm. that this is based off of. So um, Henry Lee Lucas. So just I'm I'll just set it up that for those of you who don't know, he's a um, American convicted serial killer whose crimes. And we've talked about him before on the show from 60 to 83 was when he was and he was largely known as um, somebody who confessed to a bazillion crimes like and over then, 100 uh, 300 plus mm-hmm. actually and um <laughs> and he uh yeah could never have done those murders and i guess uh yeah they figured it out but he's often portrayed like he was portrayed in the mine hunter series um as the person that confesses to everything etc and he's a really interesting dude i wanted to just mention real quick that if you want to know more a lot about henry lee lucas you could watch the netflix five-part series called The Confession Killer. They did one on Henry Lee Lucas, Mm. and it's pretty good. So anyway. Yeah, when you think about, um, we were talking a little bit about developmentally, and um, his life was really, really sad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is to give some context to the brutality of, um, and just his ability to, I think a lot of this was revenge killing. He clearly had issues with uh, women because his mother and his sister abused him significantly so his mother prostituted herself in the backwoods just to make money of their home so imagine like you're growing up and this is what you know your mother does for a living he there's uh reports of him sexually assaulting his half-brother growing up as well as having sex with dead animals um and this could be a consequence of his older sister raping him when he was younger and then his father prostituted him to a neighbor at five years old. So you're looking at, this is within the first 10 years of his life. I I look at that and I go, how the hell did someone get that? Yeah. Like that's from every angle, no protective factors, Mm-mm. nobody there to rescue him, nobody there to nurture him. Um, he, after two suicide attempts in prison, he was moved to a state mental hospital. Um, so he, you know, he was actually only convicted of three murders, one being his mother. He ended up killing his mother. They do a good job in the film of of just truly how traumatized and sadistic he is by not even really remembering how he yeah, did it. Yeah, that was he, perfect. He just kind of, you know, was it a bat? Was it a knife? Was doesn't it really matter. Gun? He just knows he did it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's been so many murders that, he doesn't even remember like the origin murder, you know what I mean? Right. And then so in him, uh, so Henry Lee and the the guy that portrays or that Otis is portrayed after, I guess they both suffered sexual trauma before the age of 10, so they were the perfect storm when they found each other. And it speaks to nature and nurture too, like totally. it, environment and organicity like because if the people doing it to him were that brutal, then there's a n- nature 
piece. Oh, absolutely. And then and then then they exact that trauma onto him, and then you've got the nurture part, the or lack thereof, obviously environmental factor. So it's yeah. just a double whammy. One of the facts that was changed in the film, there were several, but one was that Becky was actually his niece, Otis's niece, not his sister. And she was actually 12. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. And they talk about that um, on Shudder. And certainly, you know, it's a, I, I think because it's, I mean, that was just in line with the culture of where they lived and I, and the time period. Yeah. I mean, we're talking what, the 1930s, 40s? Yeah. I, I, I watched this movie and they talked about Joe Bob and, McNaughton talk about this too, where there's almost this level of, um, de- it's very depressing. It's not just like violent and offensive. It's very depressing. And I think it, Joe Bob says at one point, you know, Becky is so pathetic and sad that she actually finds Henry to be this potential solid love like she, she can look at a stone cold serial killer and think maybe that's the answer to all. She's of her attracted problems. to her abuser, basically. Yeah, yeah like it's she just... was so victimized. I mean, yeah, it's it's a really difficult movie to get through. I think mostly because it's, um, it's so dark and depressing. Well, and that's why, in some ways, I would personally, if you guys have Shutter or want to try a horror streaming service. And you like horror hosts. I mean, Joe Bob's my favorite. He's great. So it, what it does is, is when there's these difficult films, which, you know, I've watched a few difficult films that Joe Bob has done <laughs> that I won't recommend to anyone, really. And we will probably never talk about on this show because I wouldn't. I mean, I had a hard enough time convincing Kathy to watch this movie again. <laughs> I can only imagine if I tried to, you know, have her watch Cannibal Holocaust or something. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, but anyway, I would recommend doing it because you, you get the movie in like chunks of, you know, bits and pieces. You get a but, little bit of a relief. And you get the relief of Joe Bob and sort of his take and the humor. And then you also get the director interview on this particular one. So anyway, I yeah. would say if you're wanting to get through a difficult movie, doing that with a horror host that gives you some info or lightness or shenanigans in between is a pretty cool way to go. Um, so... Like let's so that leads us into like let's talk about the movie and what we like thought of it. I I can say that watching it this time, um, so now I'm down to maybe seeing it for the third or fourth time. Probably maybe I've seen bits and pieces of it, um, you know, scenes or something. But um, I can tell you that the scenes that are always disturbing to me are still disturbing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but. The rest of it, because I know that it's mood and tone and that is actually its biggest skill, really. Mm-hmm. And that part doesn't affect me as much as it used to. But the scenes that are brutal and on the screen far, you know, that make you want to turn away because that's what they're meant to do, really, is to like turn away. <laughs> you want to turn away because it's like, oh, OK, I really don't want to watch this. But those are still disturbing and I still want to turn away and um but what I could say for this watching was that because now I'm watching it from this more psychological lens because I'm pretty sure the last time I saw it was 
pre-psychology. Mm, okay. <laughs> it was probably when I was, I don't know, working in entertainment or something and always watching serial killer stuff. So I probably, I don't even remember, but I probably watched it in that way. Um, I, I, I was more intrigued by the one-on-one scenes and then hearing John McNaughton talk about that when he was talking to Joe Bob about how he did, he spent a lot of time, like he, his favorite part of it, you know, that his, the people that gave him the money to do the movie were like, what movie did you make? We were expecting gore and violence and kills. Like, what the hell did you do? And he, and he, cause he just figured out that he liked the scenes, like the one scene where Henry is, you know, grooming Otis mm-hmm. or the scene where, you know, my favorite scene, I think a lot of people's favorite scene is the dinner table scene with Becky at mm-hmm. the very beginning when he, they're talking about their traumas. They literally open up their traumas to each other. Yeah. And if you've ever, met or been or sat with someone who has that kind of profound trauma that often happens it just like it just it just like comes out like dinner conversation yep. and i just thought that was really well done but anyway that was my yeah. reaction uh no i would say the same this is probably the third time i've seen it i did first see it when i was already in psychology um but i i i would agree with you that i actually anticipated feeling worse and I don't know if it's just because I've seen it enough times now but I agree like the one scene that still really gets me is the scene where well there's two it's the scene where um, they break into that family's family. house mm-hmm. and then the other one is when Otis is uh, attempting to rape Becky right, it's also right. really hard to I mean I I hate this is this this film is probably one of the only exceptions to me even being able to see rape on and I think it's just because I've I've seen it now Mm-hmm. But I, I have a really hard time watching those scenes unless there's like a revenge killing somewhere in there, um, which, you know, Otis does get his, which is good. But um, like immediately. <laughs> yeah, pretty immediately. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this was made on a hundred thousand dollar budget. Um, so it's pretty crazy. I think that what makes it really effective also from a psychological point of view, and they talk about this as well in the commentary, is the movie is actually very mundane. There's not a lot of dialogue. Um, It's very atmospheric. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this mundaneness, there's such a level of violence and sadism. It's this weird, the way that they're able to balance that is incredibly skillful because Mm -hmm. most movies, it's almost like overload and you're going, okay, there's so much going on and now this... I can't, I'm done. I have to get up. I have to walk out. This is almost like it's so mundane. And then you are anticipating that. Ne- that's, that's how I found myself. Cause it'd been a while since I had seen it mm-hmm. and I'm like, Oh God, is this the scene? Is this the scene? <laughs> da, da, da. Right. Um, so they do a really good job at, at leaving a lot of time in between these really, really um, horrific scenes. And in those gaps, there's character development. Absolutely. So it's it's done incredibly well. Um, yeah, I mean, you're talking about pacing, which I think is like how how budgets can get in the way. You know, yeah. I when I watch this movie, I think of Taxi Driver. Like it's that same. It's in that same vein where um, a lot a lot more. Uh, well, a little bit more plot happens in Taxi Driver. There's a little more plot. Yeah. But. Um, <clears throat> But it's the mood. It's the mood of it, and it's the characters. And there's these long scenes in cars with, with you know, watching his face and stuff. A different time we can talk about that movie. Mm-hmm. But like that's how. Um, 
it's not what we would say, I guess, is that it's not plot driven, it's character driven. And so the and because of budget and it's shot on 16 millimeter, which really helps with the quality, the, grit, the grittiness, the of grit it. of 16 millimeter mm-hmm. is awesome. And, um, and, and a f- big, and a big fan of 16 millimeter fans, especially back in the day when mm-hmm. it used to be used by every independent filmmaker ever right. made. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and then also just the, um, the culture of like, this was such an, 80s fear for women like being stalked in parking lots totally and, i mean i remember my mom going to the park and my dad's like look under the car i mean that was like <laughs> oh such my. a thing in the 80s oh, oh like, he's such a, a hypochondriac <laughs> my mom would be like okay whatever um but it was like one of those things where like that was a uh, somewhat of even an urban legend you know like sure. if you go to the mall you go to the grocery store someone's gonna <laughs> hunt you in the parking lot yeah because it was you know this is before cell phones um, cameras. Yeah, yeah. You had all no, of that. You had no. Uh, well, like we say, protective factors. There's no none. Like you had to run to a payphone. Yeah. Like or scream and think people were going to help you. Like yeah. mm, no. The biggest relief of the movie for me is when he lets the woman with the dog go. Oh, I know. You're like, don't kill the dog. I was sitting there going, I don't remember him killing the dog. Please tell me he doesn't. And I, I almost fast forwarded through it and then I, okay. Oh God, he let her go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he let her go. And I thought that, I mean, every, this film, as far as like a biopic or it's actually in the title, a portrait, which is really the mood and it's really congruent with what it is, is like, I just think it's really, I think it's so well done at every moment because, and I say that because what you're saying is like, they try to be as real with it as possible. And no, serial killers don't kill everyone Not they everybody. come in contact no. with. <laughs> and she was also very assertive mm-hmm. and very aggressive. And I think that there was something really, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, it's like when a dog looks another dog in the eyes and they don't, like, they just. He almost became submissive yeah, yeah, in a way. And they're... I was almost wondering, like, was that, did that remind him of his mother did that because he it w- there was no thought there i also don't think he saw her as uh like a sexual i don't know he let her go for no no reasons, yeah but. i mean my we don't know why yeah. or what their what their thoughts were but my first thought was my first motivation for letting her go was that um was that he saw truth like that she was just herself mm-hmm. with him and she didn't and he didn't see fear that's why i make that that's animal right. reference is that that's right she looked him straight in the eye and that was like okay and then moving on because mm-hmm. there was no he didn't see prey that's in right her. That, that's yeah. what i thought me um, too <clears> but I that was, i was like oh thank god because she he's like what kind of dog is that and she's like heinz 57 he's like okay <laughs> he's like super yeah. gonna go get some cool yeah i'm not fucking with you <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go buy my cools and cool off yeah okay. but overall i mean if 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 you're listening and you haven't seen it i did find myself having to watch it during the day it's not a movie that I could watch um, at night, which is funny because um, if you listen to Shrink Chat this Friday, I'm talking about a movie that I woke up to in the middle of the night and I'm like, this is a problem. But right a, a movie like this that's so real, uh, it, it's one I don't think I could watch at night. So yeah, yeah, I found I myself you. watching it like in the morning. Well, I, I watched my, I watched it in the morning too. Yeah. Um, but I knew the Joe Bob stuff would be there and he you know. really was like, every time he's he a comforting up, I was like, Oh, thanks Joe. <laughs> thanks, oh. Joe. I needed a break. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> God love him. He's like, Hey, yeah. it's my Southern dad. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. So <laughs> there's one thing that came to mind for me is that, uh, so two things. One is that one of the big problems that they had with this movie is that, um, and spoilers, 
we've already spoiled some things, but you could still watch it and not know the ending. But so if you wanted to do that, like I'm going to spoil the ending right about now. So one of the big problems that they obviously had with the MPAA and with audiences and with critics, and you know, this was a film festival movie for obvious reasons, is that there's no justice for the victims in this movie. This is, they truly were doing a portrait of what actually happens, which is there's lots of people that just live their lives, do this, um, do this behavior and don't ever get caught. And this movie, even if Henry were to get caught in the future, this movie wasn't about that. This movie was like a, a messed up love story portrait of some of two people who have a lot of trauma. Anyway, so that was one of their big problems. But then, so then that got me thinking, well, what if we thought about what happened to Becky and Henry? Mm-hmm. Like, I imagine there's been, I, I haven't seen any, but I'm sure if you Google that, there's other conversations or articles about it. But I specifically didn't look that up because I thought, like, from a psychological perspective, what are the possible outcomes for Becky and Henry? And um, I just popped that on Kathy today. So my thought, my first thought was that, of course, is like a more like kind of an obvious one where um, she has babies, they get married, he eventually traumatizes the children, beats them, hurts them, kills her. Like there's that mm-hmm. scenario that we see often in the pathology and then we also see it often in the movies. Mm-hmm. So there's that sort of scenario. Can you think of like other Well, if scenarios? you go for depending on the the version of Becky we're talking about because if we're talking about the real Becky and she was 12 and she also had severe cognitive deficits. Yeah, so let's address both because I was talking about the movie. Right. (laughs) So if we're going with the 12-year-old who had severe cognitive deficits, my guess would be eventually um, that would, you know, she'd be neglected or... She'd be submissive in the whole... She would be submissive. Mm -hmm. Um, It's possible he could find somebody else. I mean, she's such a child. I I think in some weird way there'd be like a codependency thing going on there. Um, But if we're talking about the one from the movie then, you know, clearly it could be anything from what you said to um, maybe even Becky also learning to like this life and mm-hmm. it being like a Bonnie and Clyde Yeah, kind of him thing grooming where, her is totally yeah, a... And it becomes very seductive for them to do it together. Because he literally kills her brother in front of her. Which, but, which but, is like a salvation thing for her. Right, except super <clears throat> conflicting, right? Like mm-hmm. definitely additional trauma as far as like I'm in love with the man that killed him and he was raping me, but I had been used to that. Right. Because it's not the first time he had raped her, you know right. that. So, yeah, it's tough. I, I did feel like the movie had a, because it's so heavy in tone, the tone that I read was like, they're actually sort of saying like love story tone. Mm-hmm. And remember so, at the end when he says, before we know what happens, mm-hmm. he says, um, I think it's time to go to bed. Yeah. Um, and so you just, at that point you really, I mean, I did at least think like, Oh, they're going to, they're going to go on and start to do this together. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to move. And so, so the other, my other thought was that, you know, the love story tone thing is that, we we have talked about, I mean, I'm thinking of Kuklinski in particular, Richard Kuklinski, but others where, um, I mean, in Kuklinski's case, the wife didn't know any of that was happening, but any of his murders were happening. But in this case, she would probably know he's not the kind of guy, he doesn't have the sophistication to hide. That's why he grooms. Mm-hmm. 
anybody who's near him he mm-hmm. grooms so he has this yearning to have a partner or to have somebody you know to be with so he's got that yearning there there's something in his nurture when he was a kid that needed you know that actually had an attachment mm-hmm. so that there's something there psychologically where he can attach mm-hmm. and then I'm thinking like they go build a life somewhere else, live on this ranch, get their own ranch, whatever. What like they talk about going to his sister's ranch and, you know, they could have kids and do that whole thing. But I could also see him separating it as much as he can. In other words, like I could see him protecting her from it. I was just about to say, because they're the one thing that is most notable through their relationship, which you don't see with Kuklinski was Mm -hmm. he was protective over her. Yeah. Anytime Otis even implied something sexual or violent he wanted to kill otis yeah the character is so congruent right they really they really gave him that i think it's i think it's important for the story because it sells the ending otherwise we would never believe the ending if we didn't if everything he actually did where we aligned with him which is the beauty of the movie is that he does things where we are horrified and want to go away and would think like, Oh my God, I would never want to be near this man. And then there are things he does where we align with him, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and that's the beauty of the tone and the emotion that is in us when we're mm-hmm. watching it. And I think in order to sell the ending, they had to make his plot point, his character logical plot points be protective. Mm-hmm. And they totally did that. And so that we could buy that they could even drive off together. Cause you know, you've seen so many movies where the bad guy wins and you're like, uh, no, but, <laughs> but they don't drive off together. Well, they do. Don't they? In we, the car. I mean, he leaves her in a suitcase by the side of the road. Well, okay. Do you, you don't think that's her body? I don't know. I don't know. I thought I it was the brother's see, body. I don't see her in the car. Yeah, I know. That's the confusing part. Yeah. Like, like to me, it's like, okay, did he, so now he hacked her up mm-hmm. and he left her on the side of the road. But then there was a part of me where I was like, I know she's not in the car, but what happened to the brother's body? Like there was a part of me that played like a, it in the, right. I think he left did it they in leave the apartment. It? Okay. Cause I, he was so disorganized. Yeah, I know. And, and I got so, disorganized by the end yeah. too. Like, I'm like, my feeling is what's this. happening. I mean, I do think there's like a, is she there? Is she not there? We're supposed to think she's dead in the suitcase, but my, my feeling was this. If he left all those bodies before, mm-hmm. remember when he kills those two girls yeah. in the car, he clearly is Remember, he's like, you're not going to get caught if you're doing this, this, and this, and this. He was never worried about covering up his work. No, he never was. Because <clears throat> so, he always, well he, he, well, he did say, you know, he did when he was coaching Otis, he did say, like, the way to do it is to do it different every time. So right. he was trying to get away with it. Right. Like, he was trying to he keep was. doing he, he it. He wasn't trying to get caught. That's right, true. Right. Um, but he remember the comment he made in the car, too, is like, you know, he said something along the lines like they could catch up to him or something right. at some point. I don't know if he was that concerned about Otis. In some ways, I think he even justified that killing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think no, he, yeah, no. he takes off with her. I almost wonder where my imagination goes is, did he start to realize that there were feelings there? He couldn't continue to live that way and the easiest way to continue with his life was to kill her yeah and that and that's where i like when they have the scene where they're in the hotel room yeah that's the scene i mean he goes it's time to go to bed yeah yeah and then you're like what did he do and i know and that and i totally yeah. feel that way too and then there's this part of me that or i guess leave her that there? is like that i that i that i'm like 
that quite doesn't doesn't quite work for me in in the sense of the story. It works character logically yeah. that he would, but but in the context of what we're saying, mm -hmm. is that everything he's done for an hour and a half is to protect her, mm -hmm. and then as soon as he's partnered with her because he does want a partner and he does want that attachment like i was saying before unless it was the he kills her and i don't right. have any like i don't the, so the is only it supposed explanation to be that just, like doesn't he just doesn't care anymore but no, he did care before i don't think it's that at all i think it was almost like an emotional hangover mm -hmm. where he realized how much he did care yeah and i could see that for him because he's a psychopath still yeah, i see that it. it being a motivation for i this is too much yeah there's kind of like like I, yeah, I'm not going to, hmm. I'm also thinking just from some experiences with the personality, like it's also like, I'm not good enough mm -hmm. for this person, even though she doesn't. I want to be in control of it being done. Well, and it's like, I'm not, <clears throat> I can't, I, I think there's that insecurity that happens often in these kinds of stories and people where it's like, I'm a piece of shit mm -hmm. and this is actually could be a viable thing, at least for her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she says, I love you in the car. They're driving out of town or whatever in the car after the murder. And she says, I love you. And he says, I guess I love you, too, because mm -hmm. he doesn't know what that means. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I think he probably realizes like, oh, yeah, mm. that's sort of how I saw it was the. It but was, because we got no like, I know uh, we got no like, wait. Hold on a second. <laughs> I've been with you until right this minute the because only, he's always protected her. The only part that would not make sense to me is if the angle that they were trying to go with was, well, he he's impulsive and he's a serial killer. So um, he ended up just killing her, too. That would not work for me because he's been impulsive this whole time and, and never hurt her. Yeah, no. So exactly. I think for me, the way that my yep. own narrative about the ending was he kills Otis. He protects her. That piece is done. It then sets in, like you said, that this could be a very real thing. Maybe she says something to him um, that makes him realize. And like all narcissists do, they destroy everything that could potentially be good for them. Right. And so because he's also a psychopath, is that way his, is that his way of controlling the inevitable pain that will happen, sure. you know, because she will leave him in his mind because he's sick. Sure. So. And I kind of just came up with it myself in that <sighs> the ending can work for me in the sense that he doesn't know how to he doesn't know how to do that with her, like what you're saying. Um, but now what I'm thinking might be the joke. So this is the let me just stop down and say, like, this is what makes a great movie mm -hmm. is that you kind of like have something to talk about yeah. <laughs> with it. And you have something to debate. And the ending is left to like, wait, so that's her in the suitcase. But wait, like what happened? You know, and then you got to talk about it after the movie, the coffee shop, right? Whether you're saying like, oh, my God, that was horrible or not. But anyway, the point what I was going to say was, is that I think for me, it makes sense that what if him killing her is protecting her? Yes. Right. Yeah. I think there's a piece of that too. The only other option in this that I would see was sure. that's Otis's body in the suitcase. He left her in the hotel and took off and never to see her again. Yeah. Like that's Otis in the suitcase. Yeah. Because remember when they come out from murdering him, mm -hmm. he's in the suitcase. 
Mm, I don't remember that. Uh, the, well, they bring that suitcase out, and maybe that wasn't him. Maybe it wasn't. Okay. I mean, do you think they they because he goes so he goes into the bathroom and chops starts chopping him up, chops mm-hmm. off, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking he chopped him up and put him in the suitcase. And mm-hmm. then there's the next shot where they come down the stairs and they get in the car and they've got the big suitcase in the bag. So I do think there was a little bit of a like leaving you to your like like it up to you it could have been henry going out and dumping the body and he goes back to the hotel and they go off right because when they leave that morning or when he leaves that Mm -hmm. morning in the car she's not with him right he gets in that car by himself right no exactly so that's where like did he just leave her sleep that's why i think you can see that there's two possible endings there for me two bodies aren't going in that suitcase yeah no there's not two (laughs) bodies i mean she's small but not that small (laughs) it's it's but this is where i think McNaughton did a really good job at yeah. going, what do you think? Yeah, totally. And that's why I see the two possible situations there. Um, but yeah, that's what makes for an interesting conversation. And, you know, through through doing this, like in preparation for this and now having this conversation with you, it's like I like the movie even more and hearing Joe mm-hmm. Bob and hearing the director. And I mean, for me, that's what movie exploration is, is it's like a movie that I was maybe reviled by and wouldn't like – want to push into and <laughs> know more about i wouldn't have done this right you know? right because i think most people will watch this movie and it's really hard to get past the the um gratuitous stuff yeah, yeah and yeah, and hard. so it's really hard to sit back and go well let's look at this from a psychological <laughs> lens i mean when this was released people were walking out of the theater mm-hmm. so it takes time and patience and a willingness to go underneath the surface because the surface is so harsh and it hits you in the face that you really have to go, okay, hold your breath. We're going down deeper. Yeah. And Um, I guess that's kind of where we started, where we were talking about like upon this watching, it was a different watch for me because I wasn't as affected by the, so I could allow myself to go deeper. So you're like, yeah, yeah, I've seen this. What what does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. Fast forward (laughs) to the rape. Thanks. I mean, it's so callous, but like I could do that and, and, and that allowed me to see more. Um, and I will say that originally, Roger, to, to close, I guess, I will say that originally um, Roger and Ebert, you know, talked about this movie on their show. And um, Ebert, who I always really liked, and I still read his blog sometimes, even though he's not alive, it's still, you know, going. Um, he said it was an unforgettable portrait of a sociopath. And I, and I think um, we could debate the sociopath word, but like, they debated about, they more talked about how, you know, they didn't want to be censored kind of thing. It was more about the censorship issue. But I, I just think that that's good because they were super mainstream, Roger and Ebert, in the 80s. And so they were looking at it as well, which I think is great mm-hmm. for any kind of film like this where it was difficult to be accepted. But all right. Thanks. Thanks for watching this movie. <laughs> Even though you like, you're going to make me watch it. I, I needed like four days of therapy in a row after I re- watching it. But. I realized I realized it was a push and I appreciate it because I think it's a good discussion. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Terra Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. Please check out our Patreon page, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We'd love to engage with you as part of our community. Please take a moment to leave us a comment on any of our social media. Thank you so much for listening. And once again, sleep safe.